Welcome back to season three of the Creative Sober podcast. I am your host and sober creative, Missing May. Our episodes are a collection of interviews with sober creatives who inspire and continue to create sober. I find myself growing from these conversations as I deepen my understanding of living an alcohol-free life. In episode four, I meet up with Philip Spear. Philip is an esteemed chef and owner of Commodore, an award-winning Mexican restaurant in downtown Austin. After years of struggling through addiction, Philip found recovery, which shifted his perspective towards the restaurant industry and now works as a change advocate in the culinary sphere, offering resources and opportunities for peers and employees to engage in a healthier lifestyle. Philip not only heads the Austin chapter of Ben's Friends, a coalition of sober food and beverage professionals who share tools of recovery, he also founded the Commodore Run Club, an urban running community tailored to restaurant professionals looking for a change. And during the start of the global pandemic, Philip and his team launched Assembly, a meal kit company with a list of clients in the Forbes Top 10. In our conversation, he gets personal about his journey that led him into his major shift towards making a positive change for and in his communities, why it's important and how. Here's my conversation with Philip. Hi, Philip. Welcome to the show. How are you today? I am doing well. And yourself? I'm doing terrific. Um, you are actually our first chef to be on our podcast. Oh, this is going to be, yeah, this is going to be new territory for me. And I'm just really excited to learn about what your world looks like. You know, we align on sobriety and recovery and how that all blends in for you. Um, but before we go into all of that, could you share with our listeners who you are, where you're at, and you know, how long you've been sober? Sure, absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you for, for reaching out to me and inviting me to to share my story with you and uh, to connect in this way. My name is Philip Spear. I'm a chef and owner of uh, Commodore Restaurant, um, as well as Assembly um, Hospitality, which is the parent company for um, a few other businesses um, here in Austin, Texas. Um, I'm a chef by trade and passion, although I don't you know, my day-to-day currently doesn't involve involve uh, a lot of that same creative um, sh- chef role uh, that I played for so many years. As I've been a sh- professional chef for 27 years. It's I'm still very much connected to the food community um, and restaurant uh, and hospitality community in in the city and beyond. Uh, my sober date um, is 10 14 14. So um, just recently, I so hit my seven-year milestone. Yeah, my seven-year milestone. Something that I really want to to always speak about when I have conversations around my sobriety and around hospitality and, and, and being a chef is that I still have a lot of love um, and passion for restaurants and, and and kitchens and and being in this community. And I'm you know grateful to have found a way to continue um, being present and successful in the hospitality field uh, while remaining sober. Yeah, that which is an incredible feat, Philip. I do have family and friends in 
the industry and I mean I don't know too much about it but just from some of the the war stories that come from <laughs> that emerges from those places is um yeah. you guys are basically rock stars so um <laughs> and living that life can be and you know there's an understanding also that camaraderie that happens in uh, a restaurant does entail you know those after hours bonding mm-hmm. over booze um, it's just, it's a lifestyle that you get immersed into. And can you take us back on, like you, you've highlight, you know, being a chef and being in the food industry as a passion, has that been mm-hmm. always a thing for you or did you, yeah. how, how did you discover that, that that was your calling? There's multifolds here to this story. You know, there is the, um, there's love and passion. There's, there's, I've always been excited by food my whole life. Um, you know, my background is not uh, romantic in the way that, you know, I didn't grow up with, you know, French pastries in the household, et cetera. But, you know, we grew up without a lot. We, you know, we grew up with what we needed, but we were creative uh, with what we had. I feel like with food um, and the relationship, my father and I, I grew up with my father mainly. We always wanted to take whatever we could get and make it as rich and as delicious as possible using very little. So that, you know, I think got me in that kind of creative space of how do we add flavors or layer or build to really create delicious meals um, and healthy meals with, without a lot of, you know, a a lot of resource. So also throughout my life, to be totally honest, like I have a, I have about a, a ninth grade education. So when I moved from my parents' house at the age of 16, uh, to a different city, which is here in Austin, um, and became self-sufficient or dependent. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have a lot of options of work. I didn't have much of an education or any experience. So restaurants were an easy, um, a easy rate way in, an easy way to to make make some money. And immediately was was excited by and fueled by the camaraderie, as you mentioned, and and the lifestyle. Um, this was mid '90s, so it was. Um, you know, we sometimes call it the Anthony Bourdain era, you know, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it was, it was glorified. It was exciting. It was what you did. Um, and it, it was not only accepted to some degree, it was expected. Um, it was still very toxic culture. Um, and it's still, you know, to some degree. Um, but I think we're making a lot of progress there. Very male dominated, very controlling workplaces. And it was just, it was a pattern, right? And then so mm-hmm. I, I willingly went in went into that pattern and and stayed stayed in there and and, and currently still am, you know, tw- again, twenty seven years later. But now just kind of trying to do it a little bit differently. So um, you know, in my early in my late teens, early twenties and being in kitchens and, and having that, you know, having a way to to instantly like get into a workforce and make make yeah. uh build again, build camaraderie and make friends and, and I also was inspired and excited by the food and having new ingredients and new opportunities to create food. But now I had people around me who had been doing that as well. So it became this like energy of uh, passion fueled learning and and experience that that it was very exciting. The industry was changing and it was getting a lot of recognition and that Mm. rock star lifestyle you you talk about in the kitchen was, that was a blaze. Like that's where, that's when I, that's when I jumped in. Um, and I jumped in in the right place in the right time in the right city to, to watch, to ride that wave in a really special way. And it was, it, it gave me a lot of success, but then it was also a, to a lot of detriment in the long run. 
you you talk about not having the background, right, or the foundation to leap into this industry. You had drive, determination, and passion fueling mm-hmm. where your intention was going, and it worked out for you. And that that's that says a lot. It says a lot, mm-hmm. like um, especially as artists in general. Um, sometimes the the voice pops up of an imposter syndrome, which I hear a lot about. And I personally go through it mm-hmm. at times where it's like, what am oh, I doing? I still do. What am I putting mm-hmm. out? You know, is this good? And who am I? You know, kind of thing. And to hear your story and how far you've come and you've been on both sides of the coin. You know, you, you've immersed yourself in the 90s. You've, you're on the wave of creating a career for yourself and having these amazing opportunities in a creative way that you love. When did that shift for you as far as going into the active addiction where you realize, okay, this rock star party lifestyle isn't suiting me. I'm still Mm -hmm. going with it, but there's something changing about it. it. It was quite some time. It was it was working right. Um, yeah, it was working without much judgment from people inside. Um, yeah. Now I didn't really care about what anyone outside was thinking or saying, but that's just how it was. Which in retrospect is like, why why weren't we waking up? And and, and to some degree we were. Uh, why weren't we making changes then? You know, why were we complacent? And the the fact is like this is just how it is. And I think that as humans, it's it's easy to do that, right? So, it really for me it took some some big moments um, of, you know, some of those big oh shit or rock bottom moments where mm. you're like, oh, this, this probably isn't going to last a really long time. But what's funny, not funny, but what's interesting is that, you know, I, I didn't quit drinking fully. Uh, I mean, well, it's been seven plus years, but I didn't until I had my fourth DWI. And honestly, when I went into rehab after that fourth TWI, and so that means I had three along the way and kind of had those like hit a wall moments of like, okay, this isn't good. There's obviously needs, needs to be some change around here. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't until I was in rehab for probably nine or 10 days that I even had considered that I was an alcoholic. I knew that, you know, I, I was a partier. I knew that I made really crappy decisions. I knew that I let a lot of people down at times, but it was always live in that shame for a little bit, but then you'd find your way out. And typically you'd find your way out through drinking again. And that's, and that's how it went. And it was like, you know, there's something to be said for that camaraderie. Again, it's, it's, you could act, the, someone might think the worst night and then, then just get back all to it again the next day. And there, right, was, there yeah. wasn't a lot of ju- judgment there for that. It kind of kept you in that space um, or if you allowed it to, uh, which I did. So it was, there were several moments along the way, I would say about 2000, six I had my third DWI and that was a big a big moment for me and I knew something needed to change um and I had quit drinking for a while you know maybe 90 to 100 days I mean and I wasn't it wasn't program based it was just like me going and saying okay I can't drink anymore this isn't working plus my reputation was starting to kind of like oh is this guy party too much we don't really know mm-hmm. maybe he's mm-hmm. trying to cross that line um but then you know I began drinking again I would, I would like to say casually, but, you know, again, when I look back, it wasn't casual. I would get like double tall vodka sodas and drink them like water out of pint glasses and tell people they're water. So clearly it wasn't that casual. Mm-hmm. And I had three or four bartenders around the city that knew if I ordered a water, that's what I wanted. And they would pour it for me. 
at the time I thought I was like being kind of sneaky and just living under the radar, just having enough to drink to have a good time. But it was obvious that it was very different. And then within, but you know, I had a good eight years or so, eight to 10 years of not, um, not really getting in trouble and, and kind of being that, uh, in that addict, that what do you call it? Functional, functional alcoholic. Uh-huh. Um, or at least I thought I was functioning, you know, when I look at it, I, I, I definitely wasn't functioning. I was, you know, I had, I was a hundred pounds overweight. I was 275 pounds. I smoked a pack and a half of cigarettes a day. I had a gallon of diet Coke every day. I would eat fast food. I would cook some of the most amazing ingredients you could get your hands on, but then I would put complete crap into my body and I wouldn't sleep and I wouldn't exercise, you know, by 2010, 11 or 12, you know, I was a total physical and mental disaster and not to, I'm not even going to talk about spiritually because it wasn't even a thing, right? I didn't even realize that I was a spiritual disaster. I could look and say that I was a mental and physical disaster, but I couldn't even begin to talk to you about like any kind of inner connection or, or soul connection with myself. So that last moment of in, in 2014, where I had that last fourth DWI, and I was woken up with a video camera from a news anchor, and it was like that was the moment where it, would, it, it, it all had to change. I didn't have, I mean, I, of course, you always have a choice, but I didn't feel like I had a choice. Feel that that's. <laughs> It's so I'm not I'm not laughing at it. I'm just like I can't I can't believe you're here. I can't believe you're here. Like I oh, yeah. I, I just uh, <sighs> just knowing a little bit about that day. I mean, just through media, it could have gone the other way. Like literally, it could have gone. Yeah, way. I mean, it could have gone. Yeah, it could have gone so many ways. It could have yeah. been. Um, it could have been, I could have hurt someone. I could yeah. have killed myself. I could have killed yeah. someone else. I could have, I could have, you know, I mean, you, I, I feel a disservice to my community if I don't also say that, you know, being a, a white male in, in that situation, I was able to not be beat up or shot or, you know, I mean, there's right. so many different ways it could have gone or what I see now is that the way it went the way it was supposed to go because right. that's the way it's supposed to be. But right. that's what the universe tells me. And that's what my higher, yeah. higher power tells me. So none of those other things do actually matter. <laughs> they do, but they don't, you know, cause it, it, this is where I'm supposed to be today. Yeah. Um, and it's where I am. And so, and I try to stay present in that, um, uh, and, and that, have conversations with people. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a big shift, right? So it's a miracle in itself that we can talk about this. Um, based on, you know, what, what could have happened. But like you said, I love how you put it, that it was meant to happen that way. And the universe had a bigger purpose for you. You know, and that's the thing is like, there's so many situations that could force someone to make a decision. But at the end of the day, it still is your decision to make that shift. And so you decided that you're going to take another path, because this other way wasn't working for you. What did those next few weeks look like for you once you realize, okay, mm. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. Right. They were pretty nuts. I was in a, in a rehabilitation, a, a rehabilitation center. So I was in a, a safe place, um, physically safe place and, and emotionally safe place too, I believe. Um, I had a great experience at, in, in rehab. And while there, it looked for years, I was very angry at alcohol. So mm-hmm. you know, 20, 
five plus years of drinking myself to blackout and wrecking cars and being a jackass and, and just full blown addiction and turning, you know, late night booze into early morning cocaine. And I didn't have this detox moment. I didn't feel physically ill from getting these things out of my body. It was so, it's so interesting when I think about it because when I was at that point where I had ruined my body, but it was almost like my body was so grateful that I didn't have anything in me anymore that it just allowed me to, to be. And again, I was in a safe place and we, there was, there was, there were doctors and MDs on, on staff. And, mm-hmm. but, um, I didn't, I quit smoking. I quit drinking the soda. I quit. Uh, I did it all at once. And I was like, this is done. Like I am done consuming this garbage and I'm not only done consuming this garbage that I'm putting into my physical body, I'm done consuming the ideas that of all of it. Right. And then I, and then I began in my rehab center over the next few weeks, instead of smoking, I would go run around. Uh, there was like a fitness track on top of the hill to rehab. And I would go run around that fitness track and that kind of became my thing. And so whenever I wanted a cigarette, I'd go run or I'd get up in the morning and I just w- w- wanted to, you know, I was able to find some introspection there and, and a little bit of this meditative feeling. I had never really, I hadn't, and I had never been away from a job for 30 days. I'd never been away from like hard wow. yeah. work or, you know, 60, 70, 80, 90 hour weeks right. um, for 30 days. So like I found all this, but I also like, you know, I didn't have any visitors. I didn't have my partner, my wife at the time, my, my um, now ex-wife, we, we broke up after that and I didn't get to see my kids for a month. And, you know, there was a lot of introspective time that was, was necessary. Um, but it just kind of happened, um, due to just not have any other connection. So when I got out of rehab, I had decided that I had been an alcoholic and I had made the decision and spent a month not consuming and found it pretty easy because I had a lot of anger at alcohol. I found it pretty easy to go back into real life um, and not pick up because I I felt better. I mean, I instantly felt better. And it was that easy for me. And I'm not saying not drinking ever again was easy because it was not easy. But that physical addiction was like, mm-hmm. I was good, you know. And so, and then I went back and, you know, within a few weeks of being back, I, I quickly realized that, my job was going to be gone. My home was going to be gone. My wife was going to be gone. Uh, the whether or not I was going to see my children, um, like I had been used to, uh, was was shaky and in question. Um, many peers and professional relationships and connections I had were shaky on shaky ground, and some were gone. Um, so I was in this place of like, okay, I'm everything I had worked for or towards, or everything I had become up to this point or that point between October 14th was going to be completely different. Right. And so then I went into, I went into a little bit of survival mode of like, all right, how do we do this? How do we do this now? How do we do this again? Rebuild wasn't in my vocabulary probably for a year. It was more maintained. Like how do I maintain mm-hmm. getting through this next bit of time without all the things that made me who I was and were, were my, were my identity were wrapped up in. So yeah, it was a, it was a, very intense several weeks into several months into the first year of being sober and going through a complete life change um and figuring that out yeah but, but i started to the breakdown is intense healing up the body first 
a lot of breaking down of the ego, especially if you're in, in some type of limelight. And then also just taking that inventory of like, what is it that enables me to continue to live this lifestyle? And then, you know, there's like this kind of weeding out of what doesn't work and what can work for you. And then learning about yourself. And that's when that link and connection taps into that, that spiritual connection that you have with yourself. And some of us call it a spiritual awakening in that sense. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's what keeps us going and trying to pursue the, be- the, the best version of ourselves so that we can be in service for others. For you, you've been able to bleed this over into your restaurant, your, you know, as a chef, your food, your teams, as it seems, and mm-hmm. how were you able to create a blueprint of what a restaurant environment can look like when the camaraderie connection has the potential of looking different, something that is mm-hmm. more mindful and focused on wellness? How, how did you do that, Philip? <laughs> how are you well, doing it's... it? How are you doing it is the, is the well, real it's a question. Working, I mean... It is. How am I doing it? Not how did I do it? Because it's it's a work in progress. And it's always, you know, restaurants and as most things are, it's a living, breathing organism. The culture evolves and devolves at all times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I make sure that from the from the leadership and owners, I have aligned with a business partner who is also in recovery, who also believes that we should do it differently. Right. Oh, so right wow. there at the very top, okay. yes. the very top. The person making the creative decisions, right? right. Um, and then the person, and then my partner making the financial decisions. Now, that's not to say he doesn't make a lot of creative decisions because he does, because he's a very, he's a brilliant, you know, person and, and partner. And that's not to say I don't make a lot of business decisions because I do. But on paper, <laughs> the the financial decisions are are, are are made by him. The creative decisions that are made by me align in a way that we both want to do this differently. So if it takes a resource that a typical restaurant may not want to adjust their margins to make sure their profitability is in mind. Mm -hmm. But we say, okay, we can adjust our margins, even though it may overall in the long term affect our overall profitability, it'll give us a better culture or longevity in staff or less burnout or happier people, which always results in better product. And we know that and believe that through experience. So step one, I aligned with someone that I saw eye to eye with, eye to eye with on that. Step two, the people we bring in, we make sure, understand and believe that as well. And then step three, hopefully the people they bring in do the same. Now I am in my restaurant every day and I do have connection with all of my staff and I do speak to them and have one-on-ones and, and at times lead them, at times guide them, at times create with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a little less consistent these days. So um, I make sure that my leaders are in line, aligned with my vision and that and my business partner's vision and that so that when they're leading those individual staff members, they can. Another thing we do, and that's just kind of on the day to day. One thing that's super important is we pay a very livable wage, our starting wage. I mean, walk in the door, you're making $18 an hour. Um, you have full benefits. Um paid for 90, 85% of them paid by, paid by us. Mm-hmm. Um, my partner and I are the co-chairs of Ben's Friends Austin chapter, which is a, a sober group. And it's basically a network of hospitality professionals um, that can connect 
for lack of a better term, a support group type thing. And we do that. This where there's 22 meetings a week now. Um, and we are the Austin chair. So we have two meetings a week here. So we do that in our restaurant. We have that resource for everyone to take part of, not only in our restaurant, but in our community as a whole, as well as a national meeting that I host. We do some physical stuff in the restaurant to allow another space to blow off steam, connect, cope, whatever you want it to be. Uh, we have a run club, um, which brings in other people from other restaurants, other restaurant professionals. So we can have that same space of like, I want to go out and see other restaurant people, see how they're doing it, talk to them, build with them, learn from them, get inspired by them, laugh with them, cry with them, whatever it may be. But we just offer a different way to do it. Right, right? Right. So we do it. We have that time during the day instead of the night. Because uh, we learned that people still want to connect. And there's actually a lot of people who would like to connect not at the bar at 1 in the morning, one thirty in the morning, 2 in the morning. Yes, yes. Um, we do that. We do that three times a week. We have a Thursday morning yoga session in our class, in our, in our restaurant. And anybody's welcome to come do that. You know, we, we do other continuing education courses. We are part of a program that I helped create called Farm School, where we take our anybody who's interested on our staff out to a farm which we have 200 row feet where we can grow vegetables, herbs, flowers, whatever we choose to grow for our restaurant on that space. And we teach the young, not, I mean, not just young, we, we teach the hospitality professionals in our restaurant to farm or to mm-hmm. at least appreciate the farming methods, uh, to be there, to see it, to harvest it, to taste it, to see what it tastes like when it comes out the ground. All of those are resources that we put into our restaurant to do it differently and provide people the space and opportunity to um, to experience the restaurant life in a, in a different way. Now, does that mean it's perfect? Hell no. I had to fire our executive chef uh, nine months ago for sexual harassment. And that was happening while I was right there in the restaurant. And I was, you know, I, I wasn't aware. But as soon as I was, it was something we did. We, we figured right. out, we're like, okay, this happened. I know this happened. We have to deal with that immediately. Those kinds of things ruin culture. They ruin whatever culture you build, right? Um, And then it was good for a while. And then there was every few months, there's something. You're like, okay, this is happening. All right, we've got to fix this. We've got to extract this. We've got to make an adjustment here. If you're not constantly paying attention to it and constantly shifting it, it has an opportunity to, to, to get out of hand. So that is how we pay attention. We listen, we have HR, we have a safe, a physically and mentally safe working environment. We hire males and females and people of color. We, we create a, 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 a staff that is, uh, comes from different backgrounds, socioeconomic race, class, (laughs) religion, whatever. We are intentional in how we bring people together and we want to create a space where like people understand that we're all here for a common goal and that common goal goes way beyond what it used to be like in restaurants. That's how yeah. we do it. That's incredible. And again, it doesn't always, but it doesn't always work. And I have right. to be really open about, I have to be really, really open about that. Cause it's yeah. important because, you know, I've had people walk into the restaurant ready to work and they're like, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And I'm like, I get that. I'm sorry, but, <laughs> or, and you choose how to engage with what we do. Yeah. Yeah. I cannot control that. It's that choice. Mm-hmm. Only you can control that. So these things are here. We've created this place for you. Options. Yeah. To engage with it however you want. And if you don't want to engage with it this way, that's on you. And 
and we figure that out and then we make the adjustments where necessary and usually they adjust themselves because it's not the right place and it's a constant balance and a constant paying attention to it yeah and, and i'm just on the side note i have to ask just a little bit of shop talk what mm-hmm. is there a magic sauce to have the front of the house and the back of the house be cohesive like how do you uh, yeah. how do you, how i do think you there's definitely the good, a magic like how do you keep the good vibes going <laughs> um <laughs> At the end of the day, what I have learned, and I learned it really a lot from my last company and apply it to this current one, a lot of it is being heard and being listened to. Most times in those situations, the animosity begins because one part of your your staff doesn't feel like they're on equal footing with Mm -hmm. the other. Um, So if you don't feel like you are getting the same consideration for... um, ideas of how the restaurant should run or how service should go. They make more money or we get like having transparency there, paying a living wage and making sure that everyone is listened to and heard. A lot of that just disappears. It truly does. There's some really low hanging fruit there that you can, you can clean that up to where it feels like a cohesive unit and everyone's working on the same team. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, when you start to smash down the typical hierarchy of what a restaurant was and how everything is controlled yeah. by the chef from the past and, right. and a lot of the communication is stern and stiff and without empathy and you start to shift that and create the empathy and create listening and create the uh, environment where you can ask questions and have those questions answered without being made fun of or laughed at. Um, which, I mean, I'm not going to lie, I've done all of that, right? <laughs> like, a lot of that goes away. It's, it's amazing It's amazing when people are treated well how how uh, how much better they get along. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just, it, yeah, I mean, it's amazing how that works out that way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I, I just yeah. hear from hearsay, just stories, that always seems to be like a pain point in a restaurant of that cohesiveness and... It sounds like in your restaurant, you are creating a very solid root system and you have these branches going out of that root system outside of the restaurant where it's touching your communities. And so the people who, do, who are working for you have resources that, yeah, I know like in, in your restaurant, it's, you know, I'm, I imagine it's like a, a family setting almost, right? There's a, there's a family or a bond or a loyalty to what you do, mm-hmm. but they know that outside of that restaurant, there's other options that you are included in that they can be seen or try a different way of the lifestyle that we, you know, that we're accustomed to, or they're accustomed to. And you're, you're doing that. And I I know it's like one step at a time, as much as, you know, building recovery days, it's one step at a time and keeping aligned with your intention and shoot, just, staying humble and letting things unfold the way that they need to um, and just keeping in mind the the strength of human spirit together pretty cool things can happen it's supposed to work that way i think that's (laughs) that is the answer i think that's the bottom line (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) you get in what you 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 get you get out what you put in right yeah it it becomes like an equal energy exchange Uh uh-huh yeah 
And if you, if you commit to that and you stay consistent with it and you check in on it, mm-hmm. um, it generally works. Um, and if it's not working, you, you, you gotta be pretty quick to figure out why and fix that. Um, yeah. and that's a lot, that's a lot of it too, because then, then it starts to feel like, well, does that care still exist? Which again, is something that we deal with. I mean, the pandemic shut our community down March 16th, 2020. We hadn't even hit our year. That was a, our 11 month anniversary that day. And so we've spent the majority, now we're at the point where we spent the majority of our time operating in pandemic. I mean, the emotional toll that that's had on so many people has to right. be taken into consideration too. And yes, that creates absolutely. a very, very unstable, absolutely. an unstable um, kind of starting place. So there's just so much to it. And I'm just very interested to see where we will be in, in a couple of years. But, you know, the other side of that is we've made it through the pandemic and we're yeah. successful and it worked. And so and we have most of the same staff and most of them are really pretty happy and taken, wow. well taken care of. So, um, and even through our, our big uh, turnover with, with our chefs in December, we still, we made it through that and we still have staff and we have a lot of, we replaced most of our management because that was something that needed to be done. But we have, we have people who are still there and still happy and we, we made it through that. And I think that's kind of the bottom line is like with the right attention and intention, you can make it through all those pieces. Yeah, absolutely. And understanding where you're coming from and having an idea of where you're going, you know, for folks who are listening to, this episode who are in the restaurant or the food industry who want to try something different in their lifestyle away from drugs or alcohol or party life. What's some advice or some words of wisdom that you could offer to that person? Everything's easier in community. So find some like-minded people and do something different. Create something. If you want to connect outside of a 1am bar call, like do it. You know, maybe you don't like running. That's fine. Somebody started a service industry cycling club in our community. You know, there are other people who um, have started a, a book club and whatever it may be. I mean, those might sound silly to some people. That's fine. But there's something, right? There's find community. Find someone else who wants to do it a little bit differently and then come up with some ideas and do them and be consistent in it. Mm-hmm. You know, when we were running, sometimes two or three people would show up. Now 20 or 30 people show up because we were consistent and we created a space and people knew that safe was generally pretty safe. That space was generally pretty safe. Yeah. And then they showed up there. Someone was going to be there that had a similar idea to them of how they want to live their life or how they had been living their life. Not all of our own club is sober. Not all of our run club does, you know, some of them go to the bars the night before and still come run. Like, but people do know if they want to connect to somebody in, in the hospitality industry in our hospitality community here in Austin, who doesn't drink, they can find that there. Right. 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 And they know if they want to, if somebody who maybe does drink, but just wants to be a little bit healthier, they can find that there, you know, um, and just kind of, again, building a community around that, um, finding like-minded people, find, you know, if you're not a manager or an owner and you're, you're, um, you don't think that you can create some change in your restaurant, you'd be surprised when you, when you reach out to a couple other people who want to do a similar thing, start a Mm -hmm. softball league. I mean, you know, um, you will listen. The, the management ownership will listen most in most cases. Yeah. Well, it's worth the shot, right? Just trying yeah. something different. And at the end of the day, it's not about, it's not about changing people's minds. It's just being able to provide options that there's different choices that someone 
has the option to make. And that's what you're doing, Philip. It's amazing. I love that. Inclusive to sober, curious, and sober. That's beautiful. Yeah, for sure. The whole spectrum there. Uh, before I let you go, you. Uh, where should we follow you or find you? Can, can you do a quick plug for your restaurant or how are sure. you? Uh, I, <laughs> I'm in Austin, Texas. I'm a, um, I'm grateful to be a, a active member in the restaurant community and hospitality community here. I do own a restaurant called Comedor, which is a Mexican restaurant in downtown Austin. Uh, we also have a virtual events company. Uh, with, paired with with some delicious and amazing local foods meal kits uh, called Assembly. Uh, you can follow both of those on Instagram or follow find them on the web or LinkedIn or any of the typical social media accounts. Uh, personally, uh, Philip Spear at Philip Spear. Uh, that's P H I L I P S P E E R on social media. And um, Commoner Run Club is another place you can follow what we're doing here in Austin. Incredible, Philip. Uh, thank you again for your time and take care of yourself. Awesome. Hey, thank you. It's a pleasure to meet you and thank you for uh, letting me connect with you. Absolutely. It's my honor. Take care. I feel really grateful to have had this time with Philip. It takes the spark of hope from the soul level, like we often find in sobriety, to truly make the difference for yourself and those around you who are involved. Connection and community is keys to making that change. If you like what you heard in this episode, please rate and review. Your feedback makes a difference and helps us connect with others who can find strength in our stories. Please be sure to subscribe or follow where you are listening to this podcast. You can follow us on social on Instagram at The Creative Sober. Thank you for listening to The Creative Sober Podcast. I'm your host, Missing May. Until next time, stay healthy, stay creative.